Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Boldly Pursuing Podcast. I am your host, Caitlin Henderson. Here on this podcast, we have conversations with friends who are stepping out and doing the things that God has called them to do in order to help encourage you to do the very same thing. On today's episode, we have my friend Lisa Apollo talking about her book, Life Can Be Good Again. Oh, y'all, Lisa's story is heartbreaking. She became a widow with seven kids and she shares her story with us, but we really dig in and she talks about finding your footing when life just brings massive change and processing your hard emotions with God and how he welcomes them. And just so many of these deep topics that we really dive into. I think this is going to be such a helpful conversation for so many of you if you are hurting or have gone through something or someone you love is hurting or has gone through a major life change. So here is my conversation with Lisa. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Caitlin. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming on. All right, to get started, you want to introduce yourself? Tell us just a little bit about you. Sure. Okay, so I am a single mom. Never thought that would happen, but I'm a single mom of seven and writer, speaker. Um, Having said that, five of my kids have launched. So... I have to say I'm a single, I mean, I'm a mom of seven, but they're not all here in the house where I'm having to like get their milk every day. You know, um, I have two that I'm actively parenting in the home and then five adult kids. Okay. I was going to ask you like seven kids at home or? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, once well, they started, you know, going to college, they all went pretty quickly. So the house okay. changed pretty quickly. Yeah. So we are going to be talking about your new book today titled Life Can Be Good Again. So I have to tell you, they sent me this book over and I read the title of it. And then I started reading your story and thought, what a bold title. Like, Mm. I I was like, wow, you know, do you want to share some of your story and and share about this book that you have coming out? What made you want to write it? Sure. Because there for sure was a time where I wondered if I would ever smile again Mm -hmm. and whether I would ever have real joy, like the kind that bubbles up, you know, from, from, you know, almost your tummy. There's just Mm -hmm. like that warm joy. I was, um, married to my high school sweetheart. And, you know, life was not perfect by any stretch. I mean, we had gone through hard things. We had gone through marriage issues and parenting struggles, financial, you know, struggles for sure. But we were in a season that was good. He was in a job that he loved and I loved watching him thrive there. I had been an attorney, um, And then had migrated home. I had been like full-time, part-time, flex-time. And I was now home. Um, And I, you know, on a very normal Friday morning, I woke up, what I thought was normal, woke up to my husband's funny breathing. And thinking it was just a nightmare, I reached out my hand and said, it's just a nightmare, hun. And fully expecting him to turn over, we would wake up to his alarm in a couple hours. And um, 
he didn't turn over. And so I jumped out of bed, turned on the overhead light and could see immediately that something was very wrong. I cried out to him. There was no response. You know, got 911 on the phone, started uh, CPR right away. And I did not even get through two rounds when the paramedics were there. And, you know, let me just kind of backtrack for a minute because the whole time I was giving him CPR, you know, that I, as I tell this, it kind of sounds so sequential, but we, when these kinds of times hit, we are just reacting. You know, there are no mm-hmm. scripts for these kind of moments. And so, you know, I'm at once I'm questioning, like, why didn't I keep up my CPR certification? And then part of my mind is like, I am not giving CPR to the man I just kissed goodnight. And then the other part of me was very much present, trying, you know, counting through all of the, all of the, chest compressions. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I even got to the second round, the paramedics were there. They took over, shushed me out of the room, and I just began to pray out loud, you know, audibly, Lord, have mercy on our family, have mercy on our family. They, I could hear them in the next room. It sounded somewhat promising, but they put Dan um, in the ambulance and took him to the emergency room. And I followed and it was not very long after I arrived in the ER that they took me into that room you never want to go into and said that they had worked on Dan for over two hours and had never been able to revive him. So that was it. Life just shattered in every way possible. And there had been no signs, no symptoms, nothing that I had seen that could have given me any kind of indication that this was coming. So how how long ago was this, Lisa? So that was 10 years ago, which, it, you know, when I say it, seems like such a long time, and it is. There has been a lot of life that has happened in those 10 years. But if anybody has walked through anything, any kind of shattering loss, and that can come a lot of ways. It can come when a spouse walks out and says, I never loved you. It can come with a phone call that gives us a diagnosis. It can come when a... a, a you know, business that we had, we poured our sweat and dreams and money into just implodes. It can come with a, you know, miscarriage or child loss. So it, it, you know, that time warps. It's both short. I mean, I could tell you every detail and I could go back there in a minute, but there's also been a lot of life that's happened. And how old was your husband? He was 46. Oh my goodness. I just, I mean... I'm so sorry, first of all. And the fact that you're sharing this story um, is incredible. And I was reading through where you say you felt God's presence so strong as you drove to the hospital that you felt like the Holy Spirit was carrying you. I've talked to people that have this fear that when something like that happens their faith will come crashing down and they will realize that maybe God was never real. But that didn't happen with you. Yeah. Or did it, I mean, or did it come later or? It did not. It, this has definitely been faith strengthening. Having said that, it's not like I didn't have huge questions. Mm-hmm. And there was not a lot of chiseling that needed to be done to misplaced hope and idols that I had created in my life. You know, I. I saw a couple things. One is that every ordinary day where I thought I was doing my Bible time and I wasn't doing it rote. I mean, I was genuinely trying to engage with God through either my own Bible reading or a Bible study I was doing through a group. 
all of that was like a deposit in my faith bank. You know, every time I went to church mm-hmm. and heard a sermon and it was just a little bit more building up my theology of who God is and who he, you know, my theology of suffering. I mean, all of that was like a deposit in the faith bank that when I needed an emergency withdrawal, it was there. The other part of that is that when life empties in a, in a situation like this, and the things that we thought would always be there are not any longer, we really are at a place where we can see the God of the Bible, who we have known to be faithful in all those situations for David and, you know, for Mary and for Hannah and all our favorites, Ruth, you know, we see him alive and active in our life. And it's a scary place because who wants to have to have that rug pulled out from under you and have to rely on God when we can't do all these things? And yet it's the very place where God shows up. I I really don't even like that term, shows up. He's always there, but we see Mm -hmm. Him so clearly and so distinctly in those times and in ways that we would never see Him on the sunny days. Yeah. I, I liked how you talked about in here that so many people, and they're well-meaning, um, you know, use that phrase that God never gives us more than we can handle. And we know that's that, that's not the case. <laughs> Do yeah. you want to touch on that for a second? Absolutely. Uh, I think they are well-meaning. And it's, they'll even say things like, you must have been strong. God must have known you were strong enough to handle this. <laughs> or people would say that to me, like, you're such a testimony. And I would think, I will give this testimony back in a minute mm-hmm. if I could. But I couldn't. I think in that place of utter dependence on God, we are, it's really a coming home. God created us to be utterly dependent on Him. And He will very much allow circumstances that are too hard for us. Um, Pain that is too much for us, emotional issues that are too much for us, relationship issues that are too much, diagnoses that are too much for us. And all we can do in that situation is really count on Him. I mean, I guess we could turn. We could also turn from Him Mm -hmm. and say, this isn't what I signed up for and go it alone. But um, I found God faithful in so many ways. I, I was, you know, when I cried out as a single mom, I thought, how in the world am I going to get these kids raised to adults by myself? And could see the gaps in my own parenting. I mean, I had been a stay-at-home mom, but Dan had very much been a part of our parenting. You know, when he said something as a six-foot-three dad, you know, everybody listened. They didn't so Mm -hmm. much listen to me like that. It changed the dynamics in our family. But God was so practically faithful. He would give me such wisdom and insight. Sometimes He would give me the very words that I would need. I remember one time I was making a phone call. We had two rental homes and they were Dan's. I didn't deal with them. I would kind of hand the phone over to him. Well, now they were mine. And I remember I had to make that first phone call to one of the renters who wanted me to do all these things. And I thought, I can't do that now. We are Like the one income that we had mm-hmm. is gone. And so this house has to survive on its own. And I called him to tell him these things. And before I made the phone call, I was so scared to make this phone call. God just kind of like in my mind, just like laid out this organized way. I can't even hardly describe it wow. except for it's the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. And I picked up the phone and I had that phone call and ah, God had just led me through it. I mean, He provided, you know, monetarily for us, financially for us in so many ways, everything from scholarships for my kids to go to college to 
you know, a new car, a new to us car. He just was so practical in so many ways. Uh, something you said, it was making me think when we're, when you were talking about, you know, there's so many things that can throw us into a season of, of grieving, not just the loss of a loved one, but like you were saying, a, a scary health diagnosis or, or so many things. And I just imagine at, at the root of all of those situations, I just picture fear. So I'm curious, how, how did you deal with that? that fear? Like, how do you move forward from that? Cause I, I'm a fearful person already. I mean, I just, that's one of my biggest struggles is I'm afraid of everything. And so I, I just can't imagine how do you start to work through that? You know, when, when something like this happens and the remote becomes real, it really does open the door wide to all these other fears. Um, and some of them are, are rational. I had a mm-hmm. fear for my children, if they, how they would react in grief or their own health, you know, growing up now that their dad had died from this. And we didn't know he had an underlying heart issue. So, but you know, the problem is, is that fear is, well, there's several issues. One is it lies to us. And the mm-hmm. second is that I couldn't parent. I could not function with this fear. I was parenting out of fear. I was paralyzed by the fear. I was not able to move forward. It was like a vice grip on my thoughts. And I remember thinking, I have got to get a handle on this fear if I'm going to move forward. This was very early in my grief. And a friend said, when I was telling her how fearful I was for my children, she said, I know this one. And she had her own diagnosis. It's a chronic issue that is degenerative. So it gets worse over time unless mm-hmm. the Lord intervenes. And she had been already dealing with it for, for many years. And she said, um, she gave me the verse in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. that says, we are to take every thought captive to the truth of Christ. And so I began to apply that. That was not something like that. She, I was just like, oh, that's a good word. Let me just kind of stick that on my bathroom mirror. This was something mm-hmm. like I applied constantly. And because I had a lot of fear. And so every time a fear would pop up, I would go through this process. And the first step is that I would call out the lie under the fear. So take the... Oh, okay. Yeah. So all fear is driven by a lie. All of it. Even the fear of my children's health. Their dad had had this issue. There was a possibility that it could be familial. That's a very real fear. And yet the lie under it is that God is not sovereign over our days. The truth of scripture is not that we ignore that. We definitely go to doctors and we medically do what we can. But the truth is in found in Psalm 139, I think it's 16, that says that every day was recorded in God's book before one of them came to be. Mm. And you know, I've talked about this with my kids. That it's come up, it came up very early. And I said, only God knows our days. And um, I mean, the truth is you could have an underlying cell mutation and God Mm -hmm. and our day and our incomes another way. You know, we can wear sunscreen, we can wear seatbelts, but only God holds our days. Um, So that's a lie to say, this is a definite, this is definitely going to happen, you know, because, Mm -hmm. or to take the, take my fear for our finances. You know, we are a one income family, didn't have that income anymore. The lie is that God wouldn't provide for us in this. So first step, call out the lie. Second step to take it captive. I would literally Imagine like a lasso in my mind, hauling off that light, pulling it out of my thoughts and taking it captive. And the third step to the truth of Christ. And that truth is always either a promise from God 
or the character of God. So take um, the take my fear for our finances. God's promise all through the word is that he'll provide for us. And one distinct time he says that is in Philippians 4.19, where he says, and my God shall shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. So God, you know, if we look back, I could have looked back and said, well, you were faithful when we had two incomes, no children, and then one income and multiple children, (laughs) and you will be faithful in this. I can't see it. And it is scary to walk it but you will be faithful in this. Yeah. And I was just thinking, I was having this conversation earlier with someone, we were talking about fear and how fear likes to landslide and multiply and that fear never undoes fear. Like Mm. you're never going to get away from fear by being fearful. And that just like hit me because I think sometimes we think if we fear enough, it will prevent the fear from actually happening. Yeah. But she said, fear never undoes fear. I love that. We can we can become chronic worriers, just nurturing mm-hmm. that fear. And so used to, I remember as a single mom having so many fears of doing things on my own. I I really had wanted to take my kids to the Grand Canyon and I tried three times. The first two times I canceled the trip. And looking back, it doesn't seem like that much, but at the time I'm in Florida, driving out just seemed too big. Mm-hmm. And I had found excuses both times to cancel it. And the third time, I just did it. And I found that once I did it, not only was it just such a bucket list for my kids, but it like courage begets courage. That mm-hmm. I had so much courage to do other things that seemed too hard. I have noticed it feels like what you tell your fear, you create a habit with. So if you give your fear that one foothold, it's easier to let it take over the next time. But then when you're facing your fear, it's just like you're going to form a habit either way of what you tell your fear, which is kind of what you're saying. You Once you face it, you kind of find the courage to keep facing it. Yeah. And you know, this practice is, a, it's like a muscle. The more we do it, like the first time that I was going through this three-step process, it felt really clunky. Mm-hmm. But the more I did it, the less I found I needed to do it because I didn't have as much fear. And pretty soon I was, I realized fear didn't have that hold on me that it once did. Wow. I love what you say in here about circumstances that are too much for us to handle make us face the reality that self sufficiency and control are illusions. And you talk about the idols of self sufficiency and control. And I was reading through there. And it made so much sense and it was so profound, but I had never actually thought about it like that. So I was, will you talk about those two things? Sure. When, when life implodes, we realize that we have... Well, I realized that I had misplaced my hope, that I had counted on things that wouldn't always be there. And I didn't... You know, I think if you had asked me, I was like, but I'm trying to be a believer. I'm trying to be faithful. And I didn't realize that they were in there, but loss really does reveal areas of our heart where we've built up these idols. And that's, that's a good thing for us to be able to, I remember saying to God, I'm already broken open. Just, you might as well clean me out now, like chisel out all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And, and two of the idols were the idol of self-sufficiency that, um, that I could take care of things. You know, I had never been in a place of utter dependence on God where I was really just 
so dependent on him to heal our hearts to to because I couldn't fix my children's pain to give me wisdom to single parent now that I was like you know all of a sudden thrust into this whole new single parenting a four year old all the way up to a nineteen year old to provide for us our finances to give me wisdom I mean just in every single area I was so overwhelmed is not even hardly a word to describe mm-hmm. how heavy it was. And somebody listening may be in that place right now. And, you know, it's scary to be dependent on God. And yet he created us for that. He created us for a relationship of dependence and not like, oh, let me, let me let you just have this one problem. Or when I get through this problem, then I can handle the rest. But that place of utter dependence on God is just exactly what God created us to be. And we have a chance to see him in ways we never would. And then the idol of control. Boy, these things just show us that control is a myth. And, you know, I think we want control because we think we could do it so well. We could just, we could just, you know, really, you know, write a life that is a a script that is so good. Mm -hmm. And when we realize that we don't have control, that um, we really have to depend on God in those, in those places. And I think we love the feeling of security so much. We like to feel secure. And I think control, it, it makes us feel like we have that that security. Would you agree? I, it's illusion. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But it's all an illusion. And in all of this, God wants us to be uh, helplessly dependent on Him. And, you know, we we all want to have a faith that is that is big and staunch and um but we don't want the circumstances that are going to cause us to grow that faith and so we pray against this, those circumstances you know i cannot tell you how many times even now that i'm like don't let that happen because i don't want to have to walk through anything like that and yet those are the times in those places where we are in just the valley just in despair or just really you know don't see a way through. Those are the times where our faith is built and the foundation of our faith just becomes more firm because anything that we else we are setting our foundation on just crumbles away. Yeah. I hope you are loving this conversation so far, friends. Instead of an ad today, we have a fun giveaway to tell you about. So this podcast has climbed to the top 1% of all podcasts globally, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. And I am so, so grateful and just blown away. But I also believe we are just getting started. So podcast reviews are one of the best ways that new friends are able to find the podcast. And that is where this giveaway comes in. So here is the deal. We are giving away one of our popular Go Boldly, either t-shirts or sweatshirt, you get to choose, and a 30-minute coaching call with me. So many of you have dreams or businesses that you want to pursue, but you just feel stuck or you need a little bit of guidance. So the winner gets to brainstorm with me for 30 minutes so we can get you headed on the right track or help you get unstuck and clarify what it is that you are wanting to do. The only thing you have to do is leave us an Apple podcast, five-star rating and review. This literally takes like 30 seconds and screenshot it and email it to info at That's it. 
If you're a Spotify listener, you just give us a five-star rating and screenshot that and email it in. We will uh, post the email address in the show notes too so that you can just copy and paste. But that is it. If We would just love if you would help us get the word out there. And I cannot wait to keep going on this journey with you, friends. Now back to our conversation. You said something about your children. How do you... I mean, you weren't the only one grieving. How did how do you navigate that when when you're grieving with your family? Yeah, I think for anybody who's in that place, uh, number one is to just show up honestly. It's not like I showed up all polished that they didn't see me cry, that they didn't see me uh, even sometimes very vulnerable and make mistakes as a single mom. I had to come to them many times and say. I have been parenting out of fear. I have been parenting, you know, I I didn't make the right decision in this and I'm I'm learning again. Um so I think to show up honestly in that situation and to show up with grace. We were all grieving together and yet it looked different. I didn't know enough about grief. I was so grief naive, but I did know enough to know that it would look different for my four-year-old and my six-year-old and my tweens and my teens and my 19-year-old, my daughters versus my sons, and for me as an adult. And so we were going to need a lot of grace with each other. Uh, I didn't know how much of the, the kids' discipline, you know, issues or talking back or their, you know orneriness or some of these things that we deal with were just normal childish behaviors or was it part of grief? So I think to to have grace with each other, to show up authentically, and then to keep as a parent, I could not fix their pain, but I could help them walk through it. These, if these emotions are too much for us to handle, you know, Hmm. we just talked about, think about for a four-year-old or a 12-year-old. And so um, to help keep a, an open conversation with them where I, any, you know, any hard question they could ask or any hard emotion they could express. And I didn't do this perfectly. I can remember uh, like, you know, my four-year-old was very concrete and she would just, every day in her car seat, she would cry out, I miss daddy, I miss daddy, like in the middle of errands or whatever. And we would have that same conversation, like, every day for over a year. And I remember just coaching myself, Lisa, you need to... Don't get impatient with this. You have got to just go back there and revisit it with her as she learns like the permanency of death. And then for my my older daughter, she would always want to talk, you know, at 1130 at night when I was exhausted and headed to bed. Uh And she was like, can you talk? And there were times that I was open to it. And there were times that I just... I had no capacity. Mm-hmm. I had none. And I, I know talking to you now that there were times I did not show up for her perfectly. But I think that grace comes back in. We are all grieving and just trying to move through this as best we can. Yeah. I think there's this thing. We don't like hard emotions or we we try to move them move through them as quick as possible instead of sometimes just acknowledging that this is a hard situation and dealing with our hard emotions. But I really like what you said that if we don't deal with our hard emotions on our terms, they come back later on their terms. So would you touch on that? Yes, that was, um, that is so true. And, you know, uh, counselors will call this, these negative emotions, things like sadness, despair, anger, regret, 
loneliness, missing, longing. Um, and, and it's probably true that they are negative emotions. However, they're, that has a connotation that they're bad and they're not. They are simply signs of not that we're grieving wrong or handling this wrong, but that our circumstances have gone wrong. And so they're very natural. And I found that I kind of stumbled into this. It was not anything I did intentionally, but I was just so overwhelmed and so needy that I would every day get away and in my minivan, kind of get my kids started for the day and then get away. And I would just, in my minivan, cry out to God. I would journal. I would ask all my hard emotions. I would ask all my hard questions. I would give him my fears And then I would pick up the word. I was reading the Bible through for the year. And I would, whatever the passage was for that day, I didn't go searching for something that would give me what I wanted to hear. Whatever the passage was, and that could be Leviticus or the Psalms, God would meet me on the pages of scripture. It was not for anybody else. It was not like, oh, so-and-so needs this word or my children should. It was me. I needed every bit of it. And it was so alive and applicable. And he would every day give me enough hope from that scripture to go back into my house and parent my children and do the tasks of that day. It wasn't enough for the week. I had to do it over again the next day. And the Bible calls this lament. We see it, you know, in the Psalms, especially one of my favorite stories is Hannah in her uh, barrenness and fertility going to the to the tabernacle and crying before the Lord. And it is where we just say, God, I am hurting. Will you meet me here? And Esther Fleece Allen in her book, No More Faking Fine says, it is a prayer God will always answer. So Mm -hmm. take our hard emotions to God, knowing they're safe with Him and that they're safest with Him. If they're too much for us, too much for the people we're living with, but they're not too much for God. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, they're they're not just safe with him, they're safest with they him. They're safest. So I'm curious what you have to say about kind of going back with that about people don't like hard emotions. I feel like it's I think people sometimes just don't know what to say or do. And so then they say things that are are just, you know, they they're not trying to make you feel worse, but you know, it's just we don't know what to say. So can you talk to the person that maybe is having to walk alongside someone who's grieving and how they can support them? Yes, that's a good question because we we will all be there. Mm-hmm. I'm there right now with a friend. Um, I think the first thing is that we just need to free ourselves from the uh, expectancy that we have to say the right thing, that we have to have the magic words because nothing we say is really going to take away this pain. And we we do run the risk of saying something that even if it would be helpful to us, might not be helpful to that person. Mm -hmm. I really learned that the things that would not be hurtful to me have come across as hurtful to somebody else. We're all so different in our circumstance and our pain. And so um, the best thing we can do is to be with that person. Just sit with them in their pain. Just listen to them as they unpack all of this hard emotion. Don't judge it. Don't feel like we have to wrap it up with a bow. Uh, but just listen. Pray with them. Grieve what the Bible says that we weep with those who weep. And so we can say, I love you. You know, I think that's always safe. I'm with you in this. And then I think the third thing is like, 
can I bring dinner to you this Thursday? Like be very practical. Don't say, call me when you need something because we're not going to do that. Even if we Mm -hmm. need, we, you know, we're overrun with need, but nobody is going to do that. And so to say, Hey, can I pick up your laundry on Wednesday and just bring it back to you Thursday morning? Hey, could I take you to coffee and just listen to your heart? Um, text the person a Bible verse. I have a friend who was just diagnosed with something yesterday and to text her a Bible verse to, she said, will you pray for me to text her a verse today so that she knows I didn't just say, yeah, I'll pray for you and forget about like, you're on my heart today. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend, a very dear friend who walked with me so well and taught me so much said that she, when she's walking with somebody, she prays for God to show her a need and then, or she, and then she expects God to show her that need. I think that second part is so oh, yeah. helpful to to expect God to nudge us because sometimes we can think, oh, that's oh, that's kind of silly, or is that going to really help, or that's not enough. Just expect God is going to show us our part that we can do. I love that. So a few weeks ago, my husband's grandpa, who we've all been extremely close with, my husband lost his dad when he was eighteen and took over the whole farm at eighteen, and so his grandpa, they've. They've been best friends my husband's whole life. And a few weeks ago, he had started to go downhill and we found out he was full of cancer. And we brought him home to our house to die. And he died in our dining room three weeks ago. And, you know, we've got three little kids who, you know, we homeschool. So they spent about 20 hours a week with grandpa because he would still come to the farm like three or four times a day. And so like walking alongside our kids through their first loss in their grief, but I will never forget the way my friends showed up those, those days as before he passed and after that there was the day before he passed, one of my friends showed up and my bed was covered with laundry, which we had a house full of people for, you know, two weeks and I I had washed and dried laundry and I just threw it all into a huge pile on my bed. And I walked into my bedroom to my friend folding my underwear and I laughed and I was just like, you don't have to fold my underwear. And she was like, just let me. This is what friends do. Absolutely. And I was like, yes. And I was like, I'm never going to forget that. Like, and I want to be the friend that folds my friend's underwear (laughs) in a time, you know, it was just like in the middle of grief, you see people be the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's what it's like. I'll I'll never forget that. And so I love that when you said bring dinner, like I'll just, we'll never forget those. I mean, those little things are seared in my mind. Yeah. And if you're listening and you don't have that community um, and you're going through something right now, I would just say, let God, let God Mm -hmm. be that for you. You know, it's not the flesh and bone. Like when I missed Dan, God did comfort me in my loneliness. It wasn't like having Dan right there, but it was such comfort and such grace. So let him be tender with you and walk with you and speak into you and guide you and uh, bring you hope. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you added that. Thank you. So then on the flip side of this, the person who's grieving, is it hard to accept the people that want to walk alongside you and help you? I mean, was there times where you just, it was hard to accept that help? Or would you have, I guess, would you have advice for someone who is in the other shoes and walking through the grieving process? 
Yes. Some of the help wasn't hard. I mean, the day that Dan passed away and our door just opened and opened and opened, you know, you know, the friend who came and ironed clothes told my, mm-hmm. told my boys, go get your shirts. I'm going to iron them for tomorrow's service. The man who showed up for years at the basketball games to cheer my kids on, those things were not hard, but there were definitely things that were hard to accept when people said, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I hate that I, said no, because I know what it was is a struggle in my own heart of my own pride. You know, as months into this, when I really was overwhelmed and a friend was like, our youth group is going to come help you in your yard. Listen, my yard was such a mess. I felt like the lady who has to clean before the maid comes, you know? <laughs> yeah. We had a big pool. It was just bad. It was green. There were leaves all in it. There were leaves all over the yard. And man, I could use the help. But I thought, well, I have all these children. Shouldn't we be able to do this? And that was it. I thought, you know, I had one friend who said, keep a list because we want to come. And she would have come in a minute. But every time I thought about putting something on the list, I felt like it was either too big to ask somebody to do or small enough that we should have been able to handle it. And, you know, I did let people in. I mean, I definitely did. But I learned that we all, that, that we, that I was good at bringing the casserole and not so good at letting people see how vulnerable I was and how I really didn't have it all together. And yet, when we look at scripture, you know what? This is one of my favorite chapters to write. It's called Let's Be Awkward Together because honestly, it's awkward sometimes to bring help and it's awkward to let people help. Yes. And, um, but when I looked at scripture, Jesus was not just a giver. You know, we know that it's um, better to give than to receive, but Jesus received so much help in his lifetime. He did not own a home. And so all of the places that he stayed in his ministry were places where people opened their home and let him in and gave him food. We know that he had women that followed him that, that provided for them at him out of his own, out of their own means, that he was even buried in a borrowed tomb. And you know, God could have made it so that like Jesus had a salary and he had everything he needed and he didn't need to depend. And yet he didn't. God made it so that Jesus in his own ministry dependent on help from these people. And what a picture to us that we can, as the body of Christ, both give and receive. That's beautiful. I don't know if I've ever thought about it like that way before. Yeah. I was like, how many sermons have I heard on giving Yeah, in my lifetime? And how many on receiving? They are both part of being a believer and they're both part of the body of Christ. Wow. Okay. So lastly, I want you to touch on how tears are a kindness from a loving God. I was reading through that chapter on on like the like the benefit of tears, and I'm like, this it, it just blew my mind. You want to touch on that? Yes, it was the like the releasing stress, and just I'm like, okay, this is like science too. It really is. So um, one day, you know, I thought, how many tears can a person cry? I just remember crying at everything, crying at music, crying when I was reading to my children, crying in my own Bible time, crying on Sundays. And I thought, wow. And one day I just began to research tears. And I was stunned because the tears we cry, they're called emotional tears. The tears we cry in grief or loss or frustration, any anger, all of those, you know, hurt, those are emotional tears and they are chemically different than the tears that we have when like something's in our eye from dust or cutting an onion. 
and they actually have value to us. They do a couple things and science backs this up. Number one is they are filled with toxins that actually empty stress hormones from our body. So as we are crying out our tears, those stress hormones are leaving our body. And then they um, are filled with endorphins. So the endorphins are the feel-good hormones and they bring, um, a, a, they help us to feel better. And we all know what that's like to cry and then to feel better. So God is actually, walk, and they actually, so the third thing is they lower our blood pressure and bring a sense of calm to us. And there may be more research out on there, but but that is what we know so far. And we are the only part of creation that cries emotional tears. Animals don't cry emotional tears. God has given this to humans. And so God in his, just in his wisdom, gave us a physical outlet for pain that is too much for us to handle so that we can cry. And in that in those tears, actually empty out the stress, bring in calm, and bring in some endorphins that help us to feel better. What what a tender God to comfort us in that way. It's that, I mean, that blew my mind when I was reading that. I'm like, that is incredible. Like how every detail, like he just thought out so well. And it's funny because a few months ago, my nine-year-old who, he's like my wise child, He's just, he's such an old soul. He had walked in on me just like having a good cry. And I don't even remember what it was about, but he had told me, he was like, it's okay, mom. He was like, sometimes it just feels really good to cry and let it all out. And I'm like, (laughs) you know what? You're right. I'm like, if a nine-year-old has it figured out, so we should not hold our tears in is what, is what we're learning. Absolutely. And you know, that was a turning point for me because I stopped apologizing for my, for my tears. You know, I would cry and I'd say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm crying. Yeah. And then I thought, you know, I'm not going to apologize for the tears that God has given it. They are a gift. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's beautiful. Okay, Lisa, is there anything else you want to share that you want someone to walk away with after they read this book? Yeah, I one key that did not come to me early in grief, it was probably my second year. I was in my time with the Lord alone in my minivan again. And I was just kind of saying, I don't like my life. And I think that I was, I had bought into this idea that the life that I wanted was gone. And now I was consigned to the leftovers of the life that I wanted. And this kind of, you know, plan B or this, you know, and and I realized as soon as I said, I don't like this life, that God does not give us plan B that he hadn't overlooked something, that he hadn't turned his head. And now I was stuck living out, you know, second best, that God never gives us second best. That while it was unexpected for me, it had been allowed by God. And as such, it was a chapter two for me, an intentional, purposeful chapter two. And because he had allowed it, it had as much abundance and good and joy here as all the days before. And it did not immediately fix my pain. I did not immediately say, okay, I am all better. Mm -hmm. But what it did was shift my perspective to say, I don't have to just live out this second best life, this plan B. I can lean into this truth that God has this intentional chapter two for me that will have as much joy and abundance and goodness until my heart catches up and until my emotions catch up. 
Oh, that was a, that was a, yes, it was a good, it was a huge shift for me. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. I think this is going to be such an encouragement for so many people. I mean, like you said, all of us are going to grieve at some point and walk with someone who is grieving. Um, Will you tell everyone where they can connect with you online and where they can go get your book, Life Can Be Good Again? Sure. I, you can get the book anywhere online that books are sold. Um, Amazon Lifeway Christian Books, and you could request it at your library or um, hopefully your local bookstore would carry it. Um, and then you can find me at lisaapolo.com. That's two P's and one L. And that's kind of the hub of other resources in my writing. All right. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Friends, I hope that you loved this episode of the podcast. If you have been enjoying these episodes, it would be so, so helpful to us if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. This is extremely helpful for new people being able to find the podcast, which allows us to keep producing these episodes that hopefully encourage you and bless you. And I hope that you are truly boldly pursuing where God has called you this week. Until next week, friends. See ya.